0: he has to know it's not okay and so uh, I do love Nehemiah's reaction when he gets back though uh, I was greatly displeased is the way that our, Bi- our
1: Bible translates it which I'm certain <laughs> I'm certain is an understatement and yeah. um, when people speak in Hebrew it sounds like they're cussing anyway <laughs> you know what I mean it's, it's just fair enough. there's a lot going on in that. <laughs> I'm sure so, he was lighting them up This study references the book, Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity, by Mike Hilsen. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon.
0: Well, hey, y'all, welcome back. And today we're going to wrap up our study in the book of Nehemiah. Again, here's the devotional book we've kind of been using to re, as a resource, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity. Now, what we have talked about the entire time is this process, this, this cycle that we all live in, where where. You know, your identity, the label you've re- received, the I am you've received, that sets your truth, which is your internal truth, which sets your external thinking. The way you think about the world will determine the actions you take, and your actions will set your habits, and your habits, if they are set in that original truth, your habits will then reinforce your identity. If this identity is positive, then you're spinning, you're cycling upward, your life is improving. If this identity is negative, you're cycling downward, your life is coming apart. And what we want to do is we want to find an identity that is rooted in who our God is. So who did God make me to be? Because I am, in the end, a child of God. So if I know that, then I'm living in a positive identity. And and the the more I can do that, the more God's going to build me and just make me better. But once we're there, once all this has taken place, we have to understand that life happens along the way. And life has a tendency to want to throw you curves. Life has a tendency to make you want to forget. Life has a tendency to steal from you the label, the identity that God has given you. So you must put in place, as we talked last week, some some intentional boundaries, some intentional elements that keep you focused. Well, today in chapter 13, what I want us to unpack is I want us to unpack some persistent things some repetitive things that we've just got to remember and we've just got to constantly be about because if we're not we're going to lose our we're going to lose our place we're going to lose our direction we're going to lose we're going to lose our sense of who we are and where we're going and what God's doing in our lives and we need to retain that in order to retain that, there are some things that we're going to have to persistently and repetitively do. So so let's look at chapter 13 to get this, and I think you'll see this as we take it apart here. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, this is the day that they are going to dedicate the wall. Actually, we're, we're a few years later. Well, it, sometimes they're going to be combined. to stay with me on this. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call down a curse on them. This is an older story from back in the history book and and they god had called a curse on these folks literally for the reasons that are listed here it says when the people heard this law they excluded from israel all who were of foreign descent in other words what god is doing and look you got to hear me i need you to listen you cannot hold an ancient writing or an ancient culture to modern norms so in ancient cultures, the way that you protected yourself was that you you, you maintained, you maintained your, your ethnic purity. And that's what the Jewish people were doing. They were a nation who were descendants of one man, Abraham, one man, Isaac, one man, Jacob. And then you break into 12 and you get the 12 tribes. They're all descendants of Jacob who was renamed Israel. Therefore, they're called the children of Israel. And even today it's called the nation of Israel. And so the way they maintained that purity was that they, they would put out or they would keep themselves away from people of other tribes descent, people of other uh, uh, of other of other races, of other creeds of other nations, they would keep themselves pure by keeping themselves to themselves. and so that's the way they did it that that's that would not work today. I understand that. I understand that's not the culture we're in that is the culture they're in. Here's the point I want us to catch from this. once again, this thing happens again. They read the law and they suddenly, again, we saw this a few chapters ago. They see something they didn't see before. They see something they missed that they're not living up to. And so they have to again, they have to again fix it. And the last time we talked about this, we talked about remaining flexible because the Holy Spirit might show us something new in the word of God. They see something here that they had forgotten about and that they've missed and they immediately correct it. Here's what I want us to learn from this. If we are going to maintain the title, the label, the identity that God has for us, we must stay consistently and persistently in the Word of God. The Word of God will speak to us, and it'll speak to us over time, and it'll speak to us differently at different times. There are times when the same verse... Same words, same meaning, now have a new application because of a new position I'm in or a new place I'm in in my journey. And I must stay in the Word because there's always something that I'm going to need to adjust in the moment I'm in now that will make me better in following God, that will make me stronger in my day-to-day life. And I must always stay in the Word. If you're not in the Word, you're not going to see those things. You're not going to find them. You've got to stay in the Word so that you can constantly hear from God on on, on what needs to change or what needs to be uh, or what needs to be fixed. If you go to verse verse four, before this it says, "Eliashib." Eliashib, the priest, had, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. There were storerooms because when people brought their tithes, those things had to be stored. When people brought their offerings, those things had to be stored. Well, it's not like there were bank accounts. They weren't bringing in dollars the, to the church or, or like we do today. They were literally bringing in grain offerings and animals and, and, and things that had to be stored. So there are storehouses here. It says he was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, you need to understand, in some of the other translations... It says he was related to. So somehow through marriage, he's related to, he's connected with Tobiah. And, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain. New wine and olive oil prescribed for the, for the Levites, musicians, and the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, so you see what's going on. This priest, Eliashib, is offering a room inside the temple to the enemy of the nation of Israel. To the sworn enemy of Jerusalem, Eliashib has given a large storeroom inside the house of God. I don't know how anybody could think that's okay, but he did. It says, but while all this was going on, I wasn't in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says. For, the third, for in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years after he arrived, king of Babylon, I, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission to come back to Jerusalem. When he came back, here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. I love the understatements the Bible gives you. He's probably livid. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Can you imagine this? All of a sudden, I have a feeling he did more than throw them out of the room. I think he probably had them take them outside the walls of the city and dump them out there had all of them taken out of the room, I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So we've got to stay in the Word if we're going to stay here, if we're going to make sure we maintain this identity God has given us and live it out to the best of our ability. We've got to stay in the Word. And secondly, listen to me, we've got to clean house often you've got to often you've got to consistently go through because you know what in your life in your spiritual life there will be times when certain things you allow certain things to take up residence there you allow a, a bad thought to take up residence you allow a bad belief about yourself you allow an evil or just a negative just just it may be that you start to allow negative self-talk to enter your life all of those things can happen. You have to constantly take inventory of what's going on in your life and clean house often. In my garage at my house, you know, I don't know how this works. I have this long brush on the end of a long pole and I get all the spider webs down out of the corners up at the top of the, of the garage, right? It seems like overnight they can rebuild those things and I can't seem to get rid of them. And if you don't take care of that, eventually my garage starts to look like a haunted house, You've got to clean house and you've got to clean house often. Look, your spiritual life is no different than your physical life in the sense that if you don't clean house often, you'll end up living in filth. And that's a whole lot worse spiritually than it is physically. You've got to stay in the word and clean house often. Jumping down to verse 10. It said, I also learned, this is Nehemiah coming back after his 12 years, after going back uh, to Artaxerxes, he's now returned to Jerusalem. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Can I pause right there? Why is the house of God neglected? Wow. What a question for us in our modern-day American world! Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together, and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, the new wine, the olive oils into the storeroom. I put I put Shelemiah the priest; Zadok, the scribe, and, Le, and a Levite, and named Padiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan, Hanan son of Zakur, the son of Matta. Yeah, those people. Their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. In other words, he put the work of the temple back on track. I want you to hear me. Everybody listen to me. Given our normal rhythm of life, many of us would fall out of the habit of taking care of the temple in our lives. In other words, many of us would... Fall out of the habit of going to church, worshiping, and taking care of the church. I, I don't I don't look, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be self-centered with this. I want to talk about you. What are you doing in terms of your church life, your worship life? This is literally talking about they were neglecting taking care of the house of worship and the people who worked there. They stopped taking care of them, and God called that a bad thing. Literally, at the end of one of the earlier chapters, Nehemiah ends it by saying, and do not neglect the house of the Lord. We must not neglect the church. I, I, I see so many churches, they're just falling into disrepair. They're not taken care of. They're not painted. The grass isn't mowed. It drives me nuts. I literally want to stop and paint the building and mow the grass myself because it's a church. It's a house of God. It's supposed to say something about how we feel about God. If you can't mow the church at the building you call the house of God, do you really even care about him? I mean, let's just ask the question. You see, yeah, I'm a bit passionate about it because I work at the church, but at the same time, I don't only work at the church, I work at the church. You've got to do things to keep things in order. And listen, if you're neglecting the house of God, it means you're not going, which means you're not hearing the word, which means you're not worshiping, which means all of this is not happening. And the truth is we've got to come back to a place where we are taking care of the church in our lives. So, Stay in the word, clean house often, take care of the church. I love this next section. Watch watch this, starting verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah uh, treading wine presses on the Sabbath. No, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong section, but I love this too. Pre- treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on, on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this to Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people in Judah. On the Sabbath to the Jewish people. I rebuked the, the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestor do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I, sta- I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I'll arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this, he says, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. You've got to guard your time and your worship. The truth is, a Sabbath rest is important. We all need one day a week where we can break free from everything. And if, if when we neglect that, we overwork ourselves. We, we lose our focus. When you Look, I'm just going to talk about going to church for a minute. When you don't go to church on a regular weekly basis and hear a sermon, and I'm not even here to talk about whether your pastor is a good preacher or not. None of that matters. When you don't hear somebody unpacking the Word of God to you on a regular basis... Then, then at what point in your life are you being called to task? At what point in your life are you being reminded of what's best in God's sight, in the Bible's mind, in the Bible's direction? At what point are you cleaning house because somebody's shown you something in your life that shouldn't be there? At what point are you doing this? It is at church that we do this, and it is at church that we worship God. At what point are you worshiping God if you're not getting together? Well, I can worship God by myself out by the river. Well, that may be true, but there's also this consistent pattern in Scripture of God's people gathering in a corporate body to worship God and hear his word. We see that over and over again in Nehemiah. And so our worship time needs to be guarded. Our rest time and our worship time needs to be guarded. Moreover, he said, in these days, I saw men of Judah who had married women, who had married women from Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, and 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 did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Let me pause. Some of you are viewing this as being anti-others. I, don't don't view it that way. You need to know how to speak. Listen to it. You need to know how to speak the language of God. We're not even talking anymore about speaking Hebrew or speaking English or speaking Spanish. We're not talking about that. You need to know how to speak the language of God. If you don't know the language of God, if you don't know how to even talk about God, how are you ever going to share God or know whether you've got your life in order or not? You're not. He, he, he then he then says, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage. You're not to thin out or you're not to you're not to. You've got to keep your belief systems in place, and this is how they do it in these days. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, the king of Israel, sinned? There's literally, it's literally the king of Solomon. His problem is he brings in wives from all these other countries. And in doing so, he's making good treaties and he, he, he's, he's doing well with public relations and foreign relations. But in the end, they shift his thinking. They taint his thinking. Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God and God made him king over all Israel But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? This is not about marriage in a modern sense. This is about holding on to what you believe and not letting it be tainted by everything else around you. And I drove them away from me. It says, remember then, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites, so I purified the priests. And Levites of everything foreign and assign them duties each to his own task. I also have made provisions for contributions of wood at designated times and for first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. We must watch our loyalties. Our loyalties must be to God first. I realize, I realize, I realize that some of you are like, that sounds so selfish and self centered, but you gotta understand, you gotta choose what comes first in your life. And every time you choose one thing to be first, you necessarily choose something else that won't be first. I'm here to tell you the whole story of Nehemiah is about one man coming back into a city and inspiring the people in that city to rebuild what God had given them. And then in the end, to teach those people how to sustain, how to maintain, and how to persistently find the purity they needed to. Worship the God who had given them everything they had, in a way that honored Him, and gave them a life-giving identity.
1: I can't get over Eliashib and Tobiah. Okay, so, so Tobiah has been a problem the entire book. This guy's name pops up over and over again with Sam Ballad and Jeshim. These are like the three horsemen, you know, the thorns in the side of an Nehemiah and this whole project. Nehemiah moves out Nehemiah's been gone a while he comes back and who does he find right in the center of this whole thing that they've been a part of Tobiah Tobiah Mm -hmm. decides he wants to live in the center what is going on what's it says that in the text I pulled it up I had to read it I heard you say it and then I had to go back and just read that Tobiah and this guy Eliashib the priest they were closely associated with them
0: what do you think that's about well, I think probably they're, they're related by marriage because other, other versions say they were related. Mm. And I, I think probably they're related by marriage. So Eliashib is obviously Jewish because he's a priest. Mm. But somehow there's a marriage somewhere where he's connected with Tobiah. Of course, this is an ancient culture because so it could be about anything. Mm-hmm. Tobiah could have multiple wives. Eliashib could have multiple wives. We just don't know the answer to this. Mm. But, um, but somehow I think they're literally related. But I got to tell you, there's always somebody Mm. who doesn't agree with you having thrown out the problematic thing Mm -hmm. who tries to keep just a little bit of the problematic thing around. Mm -hmm. I've led churches for 35 years. There's always somebody. Okay, I'll tell you a funny story, okay? So my kids are young. Well, actually, we only had Robert. So Robert's three years old, and we go to this new church, and um, and and we walk in. We're, they're going to have their Christmas dinner. Oh, we got it, Pastor. We'll put it together. Okay, so we show up for the Christmas dinner, and Santa Claus shows up for the Christmas dinner. I knew the dude that was wearing the, the outfit, you know, but Santa Claus shows up, and I watch my son crawl up in this guy's lap, and stare at him, stunned that Santa Claus came to church. And I'm standing in the back of the room, and I'm dying. I'm just dying because in my head, all the the only thing ringing in my head was Santa came to church, but Jesus never did.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm just dying, so I literally barred it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I banned them from doing it. I was going to throw away the Santa outfit, and uh, somebody said, "Let me keep the outfit." I said, "Okay." So I gave it to him because you know. Well, I, there's no issue with this I just didn't want it in the church yeah if this had been at the dude's house I'm good but this had been the church and mm-hmm. I just, anyway I left that church after pastoring there. this was year one I pastored there for six and a half years I left that church in January of 99 to come here mm-hmm. December of 99
1: Santa was back at church Santa was back at church <laughs> same outfit Somebody
0: had stored that outfit to bring it back as soon as I was gone.
1: This is the Nehemiah story. Yes! Tobiah was back in the house. In a now, okay,
0: suit. Santa, not Tobiah, but,
1: you know, Santa's not <laughs> Tobiah. Well, I mean, it sounds like the same thing. <laughs> Eliashib and Tobiah have some sort of relationship, and Tobiah finds a way to maybe persuade Eliashib, or Eliashib's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to be a big deal. We have no idea. We, mm-hmm. we can only read into it, but it seems like... There's some sort of proximity to power, right. and there's abuse that happens. And you know, we're talking about—there's so much of this in this book. There is. You, know, you have Nehemiah on one hand who is close to the king, mm-hmm. and he doesn't abuse that power. right? He's, he has that proximity to power, and he, he rightfully goes about utilizing it. It takes a big risk, right. but he rightfully does it right. with honor. And then you have Tobiah who is abusing it and defiling well, yeah. Is Tobiah
0: is not the one that bothers me as much as Eliashib.
1: Well, yeah, Eliashib's supposed to be the gatekeeper.
0: Well, yeah, and when your gatekeeper's messed up, your gate's useless.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so uh, Eliashib just allows this, and he has to know. Yeah. He has to know it's not okay. And so uh, I do love Nehemiah's reaction when he gets back, though. Uh, I was greatly displeased is the way that our, Bi- mm-hmm. our Bible translates it, which I'm certain— <laughs>
1: I'm certain is an understatement, and yeah. um, when people speak in Hebrew, it sounds like they're cussing anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, fair enough. There's a lot going on, in
0: that. <laughs> I'm sure so, he was lighting them up.
1: He was freaking out, and he's uh, I I
0: I can I could just imagine yeah. in my mind uh, Nehemiah lining up, mm-hmm. you know, donkeys with carts behind him, and everything gets loaded in, and he he had, it, Tobiah didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, somebody comes to by and say, uh, all your stuff is in a pile outside the gate of the city. And he's just tossing it on a pile, breaking stuff. I mean, I could just see all that. Yeah. I, mean, I
1: think it would be hilarious to watch. But Oh, yeah. I, there's something about the way Nehemiah, I don't know who's writing this, if it's Nehemiah that's writing it or, or who actually wrote this. But the way Nehemiah talks mm-hmm. to us, the way he narrates is so fresh because is. he is crystal clear about how Mm -hmm. he feels. He doesn't really pull any punches. So he purifies the place. Now, what does that look like? Not just what it looked like, but you talked about how we need to purify. We need to be on top of that too. Um, And and it's this constant thing that we have to do, especially if there's something that's come back and we got to kick it back out. What does that look like? How do we do that? Well, okay.
0: In an Old Testament setting, if you go back to the establishment of the temple and the dedication of the temple, the way that it was purified okay this is gonna be gross to people but stay with me the way it's purified is the blood of the sacrifices is literally is literally applied to the walls to the floors to to purify a space so mm-hmm. I would guess that when he purifies this room mm-hmm. there's literally a sacrifice that place t- takes place there, there's uh, there's there's uh, Oil, there's blood of the animal, there's all of that that is literally applied mm-hmm. to to purify the space. Now, we don't have to do that today. Basically. You don't need to go kill some animal or some some poor little sheep and and purify your house, because the blood of Jesus did that once and for all. Mm-hmm that does mean is now let's see the temple as ourselves let's see mm-hmm. jerusalem as ourselves and the temple is that heart that center mm-hmm. of who we are right yep. uh, that what that does mean is there may need to be uh, not literally a reapplication of the blood of jesus i.e we're crucifying him again i don't mean it that way the mm-hmm. bible clearly says don't do that yeah. we can't see it that way but a reapplication of the blood of jesus in the sense that i go back mm-hmm. and i take this sin again to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, I lay it out and I say, forgive me and purify me. And, and there needs to be both a redemptive purification, blood of Jesus, foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. But there must also be a spiritual purification because now the Holy Spirit indwells us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to—the Holy Spirit is most often—there there are a couple of different analogies uh, as, a, as breath— um, and as a dove, mm-hmm. and as fire, mm-hmm. and so in this case of purification, the Holy Spirit, like a fire, burning out and purifying what is what is wrong inside of us. And so um, I, I, you know, I I also believe that sometimes with physical spaces, we ought to pray through them. We ought to rededicate them, uh, driving out uh, spirits in some physical places that we've allowed to get there. Um, I think there's something to that, yeah. and um, and so um, and so I, I think there are a lot of layers to this. I think the ultimate layer, though, is you must have reapply, reapply, re-understand the blood of Jesus in that space, mm-hmm. and then the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn it out and to cleanse it, so that the mm-hmm. breath of the Holy Spirit can once again move f- freely through.
1: Absolutely. So, so you were talking about the church just now, and you talked about right here the temple being us we are Mm -hmm. now the temple but when you're talking about the church and about the point where it says take care of the church Mm -hmm. you didn't mention our bodies as the church or the vessel of the holy spirit that's not
0: the image that they're giving us there okay the image they're giving us there is an image of they physically taking care of Mm-hmm. The building in which the worship of God is to take place and the people who are to lead the worship of God in that space. Mm-hmm. So literally the image that that Nehemiah is giving us is of I go to this structure to worship God. Mm-hmm. And I follow those people whom God has called and put in place to lead me in that worship and to lead me in that mm-hmm. learning. So in our modern context, that is the church. Mm-hmm. That is going to church, that is donating to church the tithe, that is, by the way, I say donating as if we're being generous. The tithe, the f- first 10% belongs to God. So if I'm, if I'm going to be just totally blunt about it, there's not a donation. There's no generosity till after
1: just, 10%. Yeah, we're just returning.
0: Yeah, so I, don't, I, don't, I know everybody's going to get upset about that, so, but all of that is encompassed in what he's Im- the image he's given us. Okay, there. help us go to minimum ecclesiology.
1: <laughs> where you are church,
0: uh-huh. minimum ecclesiology. It is literally in our case. Okay, in our case, it's, it's still the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have. A, you just don't have a physical building, but there has to be this commitment, this dedication to going to. I I, I really do believe that it's mm-hmm. probably best for folks that are with uh, Wyack, where you are church, that church happen in the same space each week, mm-hmm. and that that space be kept as clear and clean as possible Mm -hmm. spiritually speaking Mm -hmm. uh you know if, if, if if oh how do i say this if you're gonna watch the kardashians watch them in a different room than you do church in <laughs> fair enough you know and uh, i mean I, you, you kind of get what i'm saying right
1: yeah i get I
0: think that it's probably wise in a minimum ecclesiology in a minimal what's necessary minimally for church to take place mm-hmm. that there be a commitment to this is going to happen at this time in this place and there's going to be worship as in I worship God, whether that's singing, whether that's prayer, whatever that is. There's going to be learning from the word. We're going to provide that mm-hmm. clearly. But there's also going to be generosity
1: because yeah. the tithe is part of what God called us to. I really see it as participation. Like yes. Like thinking through what you're talking about, it's really a matter of participation. Wherever the church is happening. Right. right? And wherever is a loose term because yes. this could be a digital space. Right. It could be a virtual Space. It could be mm-hmm. a physical space. It could be your house where you invite people in and then you watch, right? But to participate in that space, if it's Facebook in our in our group community or whatever, could be in Bible groups. Whatever you're doing, you're participating, and that's yes. part of taking care of.
0: Well, just think about this just a minute. If the if the church is in your house mm-hmm. and you need to keep this space pure because you're going to hold church here,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what you've just done is you have sanctified set aside for sacred purposes, Mm. your house. Mm -hmm. How's that a bad thing? It's a great thing. And by the way, the early church, the earliest iterations of church we have... Once the church was thrown out of the synagogues, which is very quickly.
1: Yeah, it didn't take long. Yeah,
0: the earliest iterations of church we have are in houses. Yeah, Lydia selling purple, you know, church
1: was in her house. And we can go further back than that.
0: So I don't think I I think I think there's a there is a direct correlation here. Mm -hmm. In in my lifetime, the most common outplay of this has been to go to a physical space that is a church Mm -hmm. and hold church in a church. Uh, You know, but I but that obviously is not necessary because that's not where it started. Right. That's a modern iteration. The way we do church inside of church buildings these days is a modern iteration of the ancient practice. The ancient Mm -hmm. practice would have been in a house.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah does something interesting. Um, I think it's two times I caught him say, remember me for this, God. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if there's like why, first of all, do you think he's saying that? And then what can we learn from his desire to be remembered by God.
0: Okay. Everybody reads scripture from their own vantage point where they are in life. Mm -hmm. Right. So at this point, Nehemiah is an old dude. He's been through a lot. He, he, I mean, if you think about all of the struggles and all of the wrestling and all of the challenges and all of the stress and pressure Mm -hmm. he's been through to get this city rebuilt. Yeah. Yeah. All of that has happened. He's had people come against him. We we only read a few, but there have to be more. Mm. If Eliashib the priest is allowing Tobiah into the temple, then Eliashib's probably been giving him trouble for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there there there's all of this pressure, all this opposition that's coming at him. And I think by the time he gets to here, he's he's he. This is me, okay? So okay. you're getting my vantage point. Mm-hmm. When I read it, and I've read it this way since I was in my 20s. When I read it, I hear a tired but not done leader who has come to grips with the fact that a lot of people are always going to be against him. Mm. Who says, you know what, Lord? They're never going to get it. And I can't trust them to be kind to me. Remember me, Lord, for what I've done. Mm. I'll trust you with this. I'll trust you to take care of me. I'll trust you to take care of my legacy. I'll trust you to see that I'm doing the right thing for the right reason, even though so many of them don't get that. And they treat me so poorly along the way. And that happens. That happens. I've had a great ministry. I've had an excellent ministry. I could never ask for a better ministry than what we've had the last 35 years, right? And yet I can tell you that, that there have been plenty of times where I'm just sitting back going, Remember me, Lord. You know, they don't get it, but can you please remember that I did these things? And I, I think I think, in my mind, that's what's going on here. Some other people may have a different take on it. That's the way my take on what's going on with him here is. Remember me, Lord, because I've done the right thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's also a way of him saying, God, I know that you're watching, and I know that you are honoring this. Yes. Like, I know that I'm in right. I know that I'm walking with you, and I'm standing mm-hmm. firm. Agreed. And it's sort of a prayer. It is. I think that's interesting.